Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Thursday morning to you and I should have mentioned when I was talking about it being like a lovely dry and a sunny day uh, today but it will be quite windy if you're by the coast some of those winds could get strong to near gale force at times along the coast so it's certainly going to be a windy day but it's a day and we'll take a dry day any day I mean yesterday I got caught out well I didn't get caught I ended up staying in the car I was picking up Marsha in the afternoon from her her day centre and we must have I must have sat in the car for nearly 10 minutes doing one of those torrential downpours almost like a tropical downpour of rain uh, and the the rain is back with us again tomorrow even though I think tomorrow is more of a mixed bag and it gets rain in the morning and uh, sunny in the afternoon John Paul is taking your calls at 0818103103 texts and whatsapps to 0862103103 and as you're talking to Marsha I was picking up um, some balloons last weekend for her because it was her birthday and I always sort of get we always get helium balloons she associates them uh, with her birthday and as I was picking them up there was a huge array of mums and so there was any dads picking up balloons for First Holy Communion so there was a lot of First Holy Communions that seemed to be in the Mallow area last uh, Saturday and we're kind of right in the middle of First Holy Communion season it being the month of May and of course extremely uh, busy this year for some of the schools they're doing catch up because not all communions went ahead over the last uh, few years but I suppose also uh, for families it's an opportunity to get together and to celebrate and to be with families and I've heard of family members getting together for either a communion or a confirmation who the entire family haven't been together since pre pre the pandemic so it is an opportunity for you know for to, to celebrate but because of that it seems I'm reading in the papers today that some parents are struggling trying to hire the bouncy castle the bouncy castles are back and it looks like for if you haven't a bouncy castle booked for the next two two weekends certainly for sure then you have the hope of getting getting one uh, parents keen to throw this special post covid get together many of them booked inflatables last year as soon as primary schools started to release the calendar for the two sacraments be it the confirmation or the communion and families were already saying we'll be well out of lockdown by then we're going to have a big bash we need to have the bouncy castle so many people the organized parents uh, got got on to the bouncy castle companies at that stage so therefore those that left it for the last few months to decide in a bouncy castle they seemingly have been very very disappointed and what's the average cost of a bouncy castle this year well according to the papers today 200 euro 
to hire an average-sized bouncy castle with some companies stipulating that they must be rented for a minimum of two days. So I don't know if it's €200 for each day, which would bring it up to €400. You can pay up to €300 for a super-sized castle, while disco domes... Uh, with inflatable slides, they're becoming increasingly popular. They're slightly cheaper. You can get a disco dome if you can find one free. They're coming in at about €160. Euro. And then, of course, in addition to hiring the bouncy castles, there's been a big market to party add-ons. Things like candy carts. People are hiring candy floss machines. You can get chocolate fountains. So it does look like families, certainly for the communities and the confirmations, are splashing the cash. Uh, some families who had a communion and a confirmation within a very short time period are deciding to, to join them up and have one big party, which I do think is a very sensible thing to uh, uh, do. And while all of this, you know, is good news for the bouncy castle companies, because in fairness to them, they have had a very, very tough few years. I mean, for example, they were unable to operate at all under the level five uh, COVID uh, restrictions. And then on top of that, the main insurer for bouncy castles in Ireland pulled out of the market in 2019. Now, that was over concerns about personal injury payouts. And that means that some companies are now operating bouncy castles without public liability cover and parents hiring a, bon- a bouncy castle must do so at their own risk and I know we touched on it when we were speaking with Paul Cavan, our insurance ex- expert it actually came up on the programme on Monday on, on our insurance slot you need to check in with your home insurance, I mean if you if you are hiring a bouncy castle for the back garden for the birthday party, the communion or the confirmation I mean, obviously, the company you're hiring it from will let you know if they have public liability cover or not. And if they don't and you've been told you're hiring it at your own risk, then you need to really get on to your home insurance company to see are you covered that way? Or can you take out additional insurance for the time that the Bouncy Castle is going to be uh, with you? And a lot of the quotes that I read about Bouncy Castles and Bouncy Castles being in such short supply, a lot of the quotes are coming from Dublin uh, companies. But I can only assume that Cork-based bouncy castles are equally as busy because certainly about a month, maybe six weeks ago, I remember we had a, a real desperate plea in from one of our mothers on behalf of her two children. And now it wasn't to do with First Holy Communions. It was to do with two birthday parties that she was having with two weeks between them, weekend birthday parties and for love nor money. She couldn't rent a bouncy castle anywhere and she asked us to put it out over the radio to see if we could, if any company listening might have a cancellation and we would be able to point her in, in the right direction. Don't think, certainly by text to me here, I do, and I need to check in with John Paul, but I don't think we got any good news on the bouncy castle for that particular listener. And I've said that's at least a month, six weeks, if not more, when we put out that shout out. So I'm taking it the bouncy castles are in short supply uh, here in Cork as well. And then staying with children and a topic that we opened the show with on Monday morning when we spoke with the Blackpool based GP, John Sheehan. And we spoke with him about this mystery form of a severe hepatitis, which has been diagnosed in uh, children. Still talks that it might be some kind of a reaction to the common adenovirus but that's still not definitive and the HSE clinical lead officer Dr Colm Henry was talking about it yesterday and the reason he was talking about yesterday he confirmed that there's another seven possible cases 
being investigated in this country. And that's in addition to the six that are already uh, diagnosed. And of course, it was the HSE last week revealed that one of the six little children who've been diagnosed with this very rare form of hepatitis had died. The child had developed severe hepatitis, which is inflammation of the liver. And of course, we also heard that another Irish child had to be taken to the UK where they underwent a liver transplant. And yesterday it was discussed at the Oireachtas Health Committee meeting and Dr. Colm Henry then confirming there's another seven possible cases now under investigation. But, you know, he was a pains to point out it still is a very rare condition. But unfortunately, for the children that get it, they get extremely ill. And I know all of the cases of the children that got it in this country so far, all of them have ended up in hospital. Now, Dr. Henry went on then to talk about the work that's underway at European level, because this isn't just a an issue in this country and at European level they're doing the best scientists are working to try to find a cause and they're looking for clues and they're particularly trying to look for clues of common experiences amongst the children so obviously they're very much dealing with the parents to see what were the children doing had they been sick um, had they taken anything and of course obviously one of the big ones is uh, did they have COVID-19 that obviously also is hovering in the background and that's why there has this been this suggestion and I know Dr John Sheen mentioned it on Monday have it been linked as some kind of a reaction to this adenovirus and that the adenovirus is a common virus that affects many children now it isn't definitive yet, but the scientists are looking at there could be some link uh, to that. And they're now hoping that more information um, will come out soon, particularly about what is triggering this he- hepatitis. And earlier this week, the World Health Organization, I mean, they are already concerned about it. They came out and said the cases now of hepatitis in children has risen to 429. And that's in 22 countries, 40 other cases around the world under investigation. And of course, our nearest neighbours in the UK, they have the highest number of uh, cases. The World Health Organization say to date, at least six children have died and 26 children, including our own little Irish child, have received a liver transplant. Uh, scientists are exploring a theory that the hepatitis is linked to this adenovirus, which is for some reason activating an inflammatory response. And one of the avenues that they're under, under investigation is that it is possibly after a previous COVID-19 infection. Now, the common virus that causes hepatitis uh, A, B, C and E has not been detected in any of the cases. And also none of the six diagnosed Irish cases tested on admission to hospital had evidence of a COVID-19 infection at the time they were admitted to hospital. But that's not to say that they didn't have COVID-19, that maybe even their parents were not aware of. And of course, the reason we brought John Sheen on was to talk about it, but it was also to try to alert parents and to advise uh, parents on you know what they need to be look, look, looking out for. And parents are being advised to go to your GP immediately if your t- child develops any symptoms of hepatitis. And that includes pay, grey coloured stools, a very, very dark urine. And like John Sheen was saying, the urine is so dark it almost looks like coffee. So it really will uh, stand, uh, stand out. And obviously for hepatitis, I think we all know the old common thing you 
anyone that's got any kind of a yellowing of the skin or yellowing around the eyes that's an indication that there's something going on with the liver and it possibly could be hepatitis so go to your GP uh, immediately so still very very worrying and it is in certainly in this country and I think it's the same with all of the cases around the world it's been in children under the age of 12 but it seems to more a bigger proportion of the children getting this hepatitis are children under the age of five so it's the very very smallest. This week the Dáil has heard a call on the government to intervene in a row over court services in Yall after it emerged that victims of domestic violence in need of protection will have to go to Cork City if seeking orders from the court services. To find out more I'm joined by Cork East Labour Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock. Uh, good morning to you Sean. Good morning Patricia. The be- Forgive the bells the, right, the, the bells are ringing. You don't need to rush off or anything though no no I'm no, fine no. okay what is the what, what reason has been put forward for why the court service has decided to close this service in Yall well we haven't been given a valid reason this seems to have been a decision that has been made by the court service and as you know they are an independent standalone authority but we haven't received any uh, proper justification for the decision uh, there's nothing that I've seen that could actually justify this decision Precisely for the reasons that you've outlined in, in your opening to this segment in where you state that, you know, uh, victims uh, and groups representing those uh, women who, women in particular who have been subject to domestic violence uh, now find that if they want to seek a protection order, uh, that they will have to go to, to court to do so. And what I don't understand why they're doing all of this. I don't understand why they're taking a service out of the town of Yall. Some of the law officers and legal representatives in the town of Yall have, have stated publicly that this is just another, this is an attempt, the Trojan horse, for reducing and getting rid of the entirety of the court service in Yall, and, you know, in ter- in, including district court sittings, for instance, so almost, and, and, and centralising clo- them. Almost closing it by uh, stealth. But I know when this announcement was made, I think it was back in March, the court services at the time said the decision had been taken on health and safety grounds as well as administrative reasons. Did they get into either the health and safety grounds or the admin the, reasons? They, they didn't. And, the, and, and that's, the, that's the key troubling point of all this. I got quite angry about this in the doll the other night to be honest, because I felt that health and safety and administration are two kind of key phrases that are used now when big bureaucracies want to make decisions to to close out a service. The fear I have for the people of y'all here is that the closure of the court's office is the Trojan horse for the closure of the court itself. And so the town of Yall then is left without a service. And if the law officers, the legal representatives of the town, including, you know, the state solicitor, uh, is express, are expressing their concerns about this, then we all have to be worried. I, I worry that in circumstances where you know, domestic violence where you have to seek a protection order, you go to the local uh, court office, you know, to set them in train the, the motion for getting the protection order. It, it's unconscionable that if, say, for instance, and it's always, let's face it, it's always women. If, if women have to, if they don't have travel, means of travel, they have to get on a bus to go to Anglesey Street. And I don't think it's fair then that as an interim measure that you expect people, that you should expect people, as they're saying, to go to the local, uh, you know, county council office. 
And and there's also a certain level of irony in the fact that somebody, as you say, in the main, a woman going for a protection order and to be told the service is is closing. And one of the reasons is health and safety. And I mean, she's going for a protection order, surely for her health and her safety. And that is the wonderful irony of it all, as you've just absolutely hit the nail on the head there, because there is also the issue, notwithstanding the fact that staff in the the municipal authority building, you know, the the county council building are very discreet and professional and so on. I don't think it's fair to expect that a person who is seeking the protection of the courts, for instance, would have to go to such a building. You know, because you have to designate an office and it's probably in a public space and people probably know if you're going into a court office that you're conducting business. You know, you you have other people who are traversing these buildings, if you will. If you have a fit-for-purpose court-appointed office, a designated space, a designated building, you know, and and it's more discreet. The the, the key point in all of this, though, and this is what I worry about, it's just another service being taken away from the citizens. And the administration of justice should be such that, you know, for the law to be able to be applied or for people to seek the protection of the law, they must be able to do so as near as makes no difference in terms of, you know, the geographical location of that that centre. And in this case, it's, it's the courthouse and the court offices. And you can't expect people to go further on up the road, a 50 kilometre journey approximately, and I'm open to correction on that, to be able to do to do that. It's just yeah, not fair it's on vu- women it's the vun- and families. It's the vulnerability of, of these women as well. That service needs to be as close as possible. You've called on the government. Is this? Can the Minister for Justice intervene on this? Well, in fairness, myself and David Stanton raised this the other night and, you know, the response from Minister Anne Rabbit, who was taking it on behalf of Minister Helen McEntee, was such that, you know, this is a decision of the court service and they are an independent body. But, you can't, on the one hand, be a Fine Gael minister in government saying that you have a, a justice plan for the year 2022 and, you know, say that we are going to have a particular focus on protecting, uh, you know, victims of domestic violence. Because let's not put make this about gender, but we'll say there are victims, both male and female. But if you have as your central policy, the notion that you are going to have a particular emphasis in terms of deploying resources for uh, you know, uh, f- for ensuring that people can have access to all of the services that they need, the Gardaí, you know, counselling and so on, refuges for 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 people who who suffer, you know, as a result of, of domestic violence. You can't say on the one hand that you have a government policy that says that you're going to invest all of this, and then on the other hand say, well, we're we're actually taking away a service in one town that actually performs such services. So. I think if I was the Minister for Justice, you would most definitely be uh, asking your Secretary General in your department uh, to condu- uh, you know, contact uh, the court services and, and ask for an explanation or a rationale. And for in, this in, fairness, in fairness to Anne Rabbit, she did say that, didn't she? And she did say we shouldn't be diluting the service. Absolutely. And Anne Rabbit is a very fair minded person. Yeah. And in fairness, Ellen McEntee is a very fair minded yeah. person. Okay, so and I suppose what we're trying to do here, and it's, is, David is a government rep, I'm an opposition rep, but, but you know, we put aside party politics on this. It's about it's about ensuring that citizens have have access to the services. And I think if we can fight this on a community basis, on a cross party basis, you know, and, and we use the testimonials of women themselves or or organisations that are representing uh, victims of domestic violence, if we can, you know, take the testimonials of of solicitors 
who operate within the town. You know, it, it's who know, very yeah, they're the ones that know what's going on. They know what's going on. They yeah. have the they they're into the detail and uh, and the fine tooth comb. Uh, you know, they know exactly what's going on in their own region. But but we must take their testimonials very seriously. If they're saying that this is uh, you know an attempt to drive a coach of four a coach and four, as they say, through uh, uh, you know the administration of justice as it relates to the town of Yall, then I think we must take their views very seriously. Okay, okay. Let's let's hope there'll be a reversal of that. And also, while we have you on the line on. A different topic uh, and this is something that affects so many families listening to the programme. You raised the issue of the ongoing closure of Cooleen's House which is part of St Joseph's Foundation in Charleville. It's a it's a respite facility uh, for those who don't know uh, Cooleen's House. You raised it with the Minister for Health. Tell me the response that you got. Well, well, as we know, Cooleen's House is, you know, it's a jewel in the crown really of, of the offerings of, of, of the Great St Joseph's Foundation and you know, during the pandemic, obviously it was closed down, but society has opened up again, but Cooleen's hasn't opened up again. And it's a vital resource for people who need, you know, for families who need that little bit of respite to give them some breathing space. I, I, I've been raising this now for, I'm going into my second year raising this at this stage, but I'm going to stay on it. Uh, and the minister is coming back to say that it's closed because of, you know, the lack of staffing that that is up to the centre. We're being told that there are recruitment challenges and that there are significant staffing vacancies that they cannot fill to ensure the viability of the centre. So we're being told also in the same reply that, you know, families have availed of respite, uh, you know, at the Trebalgan Holiday Centre and that, you know, there have been, you know, Saturday clubs. But my understanding on Saturday clubs is that there haven't been any Saturday clubs since last summer. So, I'm going to keep pushing back on this because I I think that that it's an unfair advantage that the HSE has over what I call the the Section 39 organisations. And they're the organisations like St. Joseph's Foundation that provide the care for for so many families right across. Yeah, and you've uh, got you've got co- you've got co-action in in West Cork, you've got Cope Foundation, you've got the Brothers of Charity. Enable but this and so the, on. but this issue of failing to recruit staff appears to be across all of the providers of care. Every time we get on to somebody to find out why a service isn't up and running, we're told, oh, we can't find staff, we can't find staff. Do we now need to find a solution to this staffing issue? We, we do, and this is where I've been pushing back on, on the government on this one, because what you need is to create a level playing field. The HSE, because they're creating these community disability network teams, is now recruiting you know, key types of staff, occupational therapists, nursing, you know, physiotherapists, you know, and all of those key staff that are, that would, or that work across the disability sector, we'll say. But what's happening is that if you're being recruited by the HSE, your terms and conditions or the issue of pay parity, you have more favourable conditions if you work for the HSE than if you do, if you work for a Section 39 organisation. So what you're doing is, St. Joseph's Foundation, is a, even though it's funded by the HSE, is competing with the HSC on the issue of recruitment because it can't recruit staff and give them the same paying conditions as a HSC employee would have in a similar type of position. So the issue of pay parity needs to be sorted. There needs to be a, I don't want to use the expression a levelling up because it's very much associated with the Tories, but, but there needs to be a level playing field where, where everybody who is recruited into the sector who's providing a service 
you know, that there should be favourable or equal terms and conditions of employment as between whether you're in a Section 39 or you're a HSE employee. And that's the kernel of the issue here. So I, I keep pushing on that one. I, I do think, though, however, that it does require further ministerial invention in relation to Cooleens. I have spoken to Minister Anne Rabbit about this on numerous occasions. In fairness, she always gives me a favourable hearing. I, I do think that we do need to push back on the HSC now, though, on this, because the HSC would have issued the correspondence to me when I raised the issue, and I did put in a call to the Head of Disability Services uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm still waiting for a call back from the Head of Disability Services. I hope the HSC are listening, but I, I will be escalating it up okay. the line. Okay, and and, and Keep us keep us informed. Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork says, Hi Patricia, just listening uh, to your chat with Deputy Sean Sherlock. The very same thing happened in West Cork years ago, whereby the court service decided to stop holding court in certain towns. They used the very same reason, health and safety, to keep the fight up. Sean, uh, kind regards. And that's from Councillor Declan Hurley. I have to leave it there. I know uh, you're on about passports as well. And I know there's going to be a debate on passports that's going to take place in the Dáil next week. So we'll come back to that issue uh, perhaps next week. But Sean, thank you for that. And thank thanks, you, and thanks uh, for joining us. That is Corky Saberdoll Deputy Sean Sherlock. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Having just touched on the lack of respite services with uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock, we're going to stay on the issue of disability because last year a new parent group called Autism Support Clonakilty was set up under the banner It's Not a Disability. It's a different ability. The group are now on a mission to try to set up a special education secondary school for the West Cork region. And joining me from the group is Emily O'Driscoll. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well and, and, and you're welcome to the programme. I suppose start by outlining at the moment, where does a child with autism go for secondary school or indeed any school placement in the West Cork region? Um, so it would depend. There's a few autism units around. They'd be kind of linked to a mainstream school. So there'd be a few of them in the West Park area. Is is that that's not always suited to a child that has autism. You know, for one reason or another, the mainstream setting just does not suit them. And hence the reason why there is a need for a special educational school in West Cork. And of course, the special educational schools, we have some in the city, we have some in North Cork, and uh, children go to those schools, they start school in junior infants and they stay there until they they leave at 18. Is there any such school in West Cork? No. Um, Anywhere, anywhere in the... Where's the closest? um, Our closest one would probably be the likes of St Mary's. Um, That would be up in the city. So, and there's hardly there, there isn't any children from West Cork heading to the city for school. Oh, there is. There's actually a few that will go from as far back as just past Andrew. So you'd have kids that will be travelling maybe two and a half hours in a taxi or a bus to go to school, and then another two and a half hours to go home. That's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And then on the the units that you're talking about that are attached to mainstream. Am I right in saying it's a battle every year for parents to try to secure a place in one of those units? Oh, it's extremely difficult. You see, it's kind of like a catch-22 because you have a certain amount of places allocated. But the problem is that 
you don't always have a place secured for the next year, depending on how many kids move up to the next class or if any kids happen to leave or don't leave, that kind of a situation. So you're kind of caught either way, even though there is units. Like, we're very lucky with our little girl where she's in the autism unit in Grail School and they are brilliant. It, she's been there since early intervention, since she was three, and they're fantastic. That's not the case with a lot of other kids. Like, uh, we're one of the lucky few. And, you, and your on. daughter will stay there until sixth class? Yeah. That's what we'd be hoping, anyway. Okay, and I won't even I won't even ask about where she'll go after that, have you? Oh, no, that's just... That's the most traumatic thing that we can think of. Because it is a major fear. Like the thought of, you know, having to find a place. And if there is no place close by, the other problem that you get from other schools would be, well, look, you're actually out of the catchment area. So you're not necessarily a priority. So are are some like, parents opting for homeschooling? There has been, I know a couple of moms that have had to do it, not by choice, because they said they'd have it any other way except for that. Because, obviously, you know, the child isn't getting the social side of school, which is so important. You know, getting out there and learning to go by certain rules and a certain routine. But that has come an option for a lot of parents, and it's the only option that they have. I was reading in the paper today that the shortage of school places for pupils with uh, special needs, uh, there's more than 130 children, this is in the Dublin area, who don't have an offer of a school in uh, September. Now, seemingly the shortfall is particularly acute in in the capital, but the article I was reading said it's also particularly acute in other parts of the country and they actually mentioned Cork. They say it's particularly bad in Cork. And Adam Harris, who is of course the wonderful chief executive of As I Am, the autism uh, charity, he's calling for a centralised database of children who do not have an appropriate place and he's making the point that some children are in mainstream classes although the recommendation is that they would be in a special class but on paper these children are in a school and they're in they're attending a class that really is not suitable for them and then he says there are others who are homeschooling because they've got no choice but on paper oh they're all okay we need a proper database so and then at least you can go forward and say well look this is how many children are in West Cork either inappropriately placed or not placed at all exactly and I think it's like like I said we're lucky with Maria that she has a place in primary school but, like, I know that there's a couple of their kids are actually going to Alcoholic or they're going to Rochestown. They have to travel up every day in a minibus or a taxi or even get the parents to drop them it's unfair. to go to school. It's so unfair and so unfair on the on the children. So, in, in an ideal world, where would you place the school for West Cork, Emily? It would come just outside Domanway. Um, because we've been trying to work out, we'll say, from Inishan and Bantin back to Bantry and where's the middle ground. Because obviously it's all well and good saying, oh, put it in this town or that town. But you want it to be as central as possible. So the most central place would ideally be Dunmanway. And you're starting a campaign. I mean, are you even willing to, to, to fundraise part of it? Oh, yeah. Like, Patricia, honestly, if I had won 
the last show last night, we wouldn't be having the conversation because I just would have got it myself. And built a school. Tell me about your little group that you set up, this Autism Support uh, Clonic Hilty. It was last year. Yeah, um, last May, I think. Okay. Um, The whole reasoning behind it was because there's a lot of parents who are just landed with their kids having autism diagnosis and they have no idea what is going on or who to turn to. And like there's, I think to be able to turn to someone at the end of the day and say, you know what, I had a really crappy day yeah. and it was really tough. And to have someone turn around and say, oh yeah, it's fine, you know, I had that day yesterday. You know, and just to kind of feel that you can talk about things that you can't necessarily talk about to parents who wouldn't have a child with special needs. Yeah, that peer support is, is just invaluable. Yeah. And do you organise events then for the children to... Yeah, we actually have um, Hearth Music School in Clapton. We have kindly arranged a music camp for the kids for the first two weeks of July. Um, so we're hoping now to be able to get horse riding and swimming and all them kind of things. Because believe it or not, a lot of summer camps can't take kids that have autism because they're insurance. Yeah. So it yeah. makes it that much harder, especially when there's siblings that are going to these camps and you know you're kind of looking at the child then that's left at home kind of going okay you know what do we do and so I know there is in, in special school settings there's July education where they get the extra four weeks which is fantastic does July education happen in the autism units it usually does um, now this year it's not in a few schools because they don't have the staff back against this problem with um with staffing yeah because it's not a compulsory thing yeah oh, um, no no it's individual schools have to arrange it yeah so it's a case of the now if your child doesn't get a place in we'll say the July provision within the school setting they can opt for a home tuition version of it mm. but again that right. has to be organised by the parents yeah, yeah they, throw, and, they throw everything back on the parents and the other issue then is that a lot of kids like, I know that our little girl, she wouldn't cope very well with someone else coming into the house and saying, oh, come on, I'll bring you for a walk here, there, or wherever. She'd be kind of looking up and going, ah, no. No, no. You know? And, she, and what, what age is Maria? She's seven and a half. Seven and a half. And did you get an early diagnosis with Maria, or when did you get the diagnosis? Yeah, we were very lucky with Maria. She was a year and ten months when we got her diagnosed. Um, now originally she was non-verbal but she's coming on leaps and bounds with her speech now thank God and as you say doing so well in, in the Grail School listen we will stay in contact with you Emily and feel free to contact us at any stage if we can give you a publicity or if you're organising something that uh, you want a bit of help with we'll be more than willing to, to help you out but uh, continue good luck with your group and with your campaign to get this school because I think it's long long overdue for the area and thanks for, thanks for joining us on the programme Thanks morning. very much for having me Patricia. Good morning to you bye 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 there's a, a fantastic mum that is Emily O'Driscoll joining us from West Cork on the campaign to try to get a special education school for the area it seems bizarre doesn't it an area the size of West Cork that it doesn't even have one special education school 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text in WhatsApp to 0862 
103. We're going to take a break. News at 11 on the way. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103 presenting the Mallow Garden Festival, which is one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals. And to celebrate that the Garden Festival is almost upon us, the organisers have very kindly given us a Parma Rattan modular sofa set, which we will be giving away on the programme tomorrow. Uh, We need to find another qualifier today. Uh, Later on in the next hour, I will play a clip of a well-known person who has a real, real love of gardening. And I'm told that today's well-known person is much easier than yesterday's. We had so much fun with uh, yesterday's Joe Joe Joyner, who played Tanya in EastEnders. And I did give the clue that she had been a former star of EastEnders. And I'd say every single EastEnders star was mentioned. <laughs> uh, but a handful of people, I have to say. Uh, well, actually, it was more than a handful of people. At the very end, when we opened the phone lines, there was a lot of people got uh, Joe Joyner right. But I'm told today's is much easier. You'll be glad uh, to hear that. So you'll be in with the chance of becoming today's uh, qualifier. And if you qualify, you win that Parma Rappen. You, the, tomorrow we'll make the draw from the five qualifiers for the Parma Rattan modular sofa set but the countdown is on to the Mallow Home and Gardens Festival it runs at the Cork Race Course in Mallow not this weekend following weekend so it's May the 27th 28th and 29th of uh, May and somebody was saying to me is that the bank holiday weekend or somebody yesterday was saying it. it's not it's the weekend before the June bank holiday weekend that's always the weekend that's set aside for the Mallow Home and Garden Festival and fingers crossed that the sun will be shining because if the sun is shining the guy just adds an extra dimension to the garden festival particularly the garden displays wonderful to see the permanent gardens when the sun is shining free seminars we spoke with Peter Dowdle yesterday he's doing some of the free uh, seminars and you can browse through They reckon five billion plants will be on display. Who's counting? I don't know, but there's an array of uh, plants. And of course, there's always a vintage car show and you won't be hungry either because it's an artisan food uh, expo. And if you're planning on coming to Mallow by train, uh, once you get to the train station, there is a free shuttle bus service which will take you out to the race course where the Garden Festival is on and take you back uh, afterwards. But mark it in the diary for the last weekend in May, 27th, 28th and 29th of May with C103, this year's Mallow Home and Garden Festival. Did you watch Derry Girls last night? It was the last of Derry Girls and I have to say, I almost felt sad at the end of it. I have been a huge, huge fan of this programme. Some people thought it was a bit of a slow burner at the start. I didn't. From the very first series, this we've had three series in total. I think from the very first episode of the first series I was in, I just thought it was wonderful. I thought the writing on behalf of Lisa McGee, I thought she nailed the comedy and nailed the one-liners. I, I really, really enjoyed it. So, as I say, tinged with sadness last night that it was the last episode. Um, for those who didn't see it, here's just a little clip from the very final episode of Derry Girls. I'm not sure I'm ready for it. I'm not sure I'm ready for the world. Crime is crime is crime. It is not political, it is crime. But things can't stay the same. And they shouldn't. I think a real and historic opportunity now exists. Take the gun out of Irish politics forever. No matter how scary it is, we have to move on. And we have to grow up because things 
Well, they might just change for the better. And that, of course, was one of the actresses who plays the part of Erin. She was being videoed for a video diary. And then they, you know, they put in clips of, you heard Margaret Thatcher there and John Hume as well. And that's what I loved about the very final uh, series, um, the very final episode. And indeed, right throughout the final series. I mean, it, it didn't rest on its laurels. I mean, it, it certainly got pushed to uh, new uh, new uh, new heights. I mean, it was ult- it's ultimately it's 90s nostalgia. The soundtrack I saw on Twitter last night. So many people saying there should be a best of Derry Girls. Some of the songs were uh, incredible throughout, but also, you know, 90s nostalgia, watching people queue outside a record shop to pick up a ticket to a concert. Younger people today wouldn't even know what are they doing? Why didn't they just get their ticket online and then actually going in and you buy a ticket and you get handed a ticket over the over the uh, counter. And the last night's episode, it was an hour long uh, episode. And they set it, it was set in 1998 and they managed, I think, to get, and Lisa McGee as the writer managed to get sort of the perfect proportion of light and shade because it was all set against the backdrop of the Good Friday Agreement. And that's what, you know, Aaron is talking about. And you saw the girls and you saw the other members of the cast, you know, talking about what way would they vote. There was a lot of talk about what way would they vote. And, you know, she wanted change, but, she, but yet at 18, she wanted everything uh, to stay the same. And it very much the programme didn't downplay the magnitude of the shifting political landscape. And I think throughout the three series, it showed the, the, the magnitude of that shifting political landscape and it showed the troubles. I mean, it, it didn't shy away from showing the troubles. And I think with the Good Friday Agreement, I think, and she, Lisa McGee couldn't have known when she was writing it or when they were filming it, what's happening going on at the moment, you know, and so there, there couldn't be a better timing to have shown that episode uh, last night. But it also very much touched on, on how the troubles affected ordinary people's lives and they did it in a very clever but in a very touching way you know and, it, and in particular there was the, the whole thing the running in the background the whole thing about Michelle and it turns out her brother was a paramilitary prisoner who was in jail uh, he had killed somebody and he would be released on, if, under the, if the Good Friday Agreement if the referendum went uh, through so it was it was just it was absolutely superbly uh, done and then last night's episode what was really great was the celebrity cameos I mean we'd had celebrity cameo, cameos throughout the series I mean the big one being in the first episode when Liam Neeson turned up and he was again uh, pictured last night as a kind of a rumpled RUC uh, detective. But the very end of the series last night, the last episode, ended up with it coming into modern day with a fantastic uh, cameo by none other than Chelsea Clinton. And it was like modern day and she was meant to have a letter was meant to have been delivered to her that the girls and, and James, the wee English lad, had written to her in advance of her parents coming to visit uh, Derry. But of course, the letter got lost in the post and it was a postman saying we found this in the sorting office and bring it to her. And it was a modern day. Chelsea Clinton and then you just heard her reading the letter I think there was it was a chorus song wasn't it? Um, we Are Young was being played in the background. But I actually saw online that Chelsea Clinton was asked about her cameo and and she went on to thank Lisa McGee who wrote Derry Girls that she's got an incredible talent and she went on to thank the wonderful cast and crew of 
dairy girls that people around the world have been able to better understand and relate to a hugely significant and important period of history in Northern Ireland and for the world. And she said, like many, I'm a big fan of the series. So she said, I was honoured to be able to appear in this very special final episode. She said, I hope people enjoy watching it as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. But I think Chelsea Clinton is is, is right. It, it, it is to a younger generation in particular and indeed we all need to be reminded of what an important part of history it was for Northern Ireland and and to do it in comedy is a very rare talent on behalf of uh, Lisa McGee and certainly last night's episode had it bowed out on an all time high and I for one certainly will miss it if you watched Derry Girls you've been following the series but in particular if you watched uh, last night did you enjoy it as much as I did 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 086 to 103 103. Now we had a number of comments in about First Holy Communion and First Holy Communion money and this was kicked off because of there is a short supply of bouncy castles uh, this year. Some of your thoughts in on the whole thing around the sacrament of First Holy Communion and, and indeed confirmation and people celebrating. Listener says, I was in Killarney last Saturday. There was a rosary being said near the courthouse. I had time I decided to join in I don't know how many little First Holy Communion children passed by do you think parents stopped to join in not at all not one of them if they did they would have got a little free rosary bead and wouldn't that have been a lovely memory in years to come for the child to say look I got this on my First Holy Communion and I took part in a public rosary it was at 4.30 in the afternoon they would have surely have had time to stop for one decade I wasn't asking them or thinking of them stopping for the entire five Five uh, decades. I felt it would have been important for the families to have done that with their little First Holy Communion children and it, it would teach children about faith. It made my evening to have come across this public rosary, says this listener. And then on presents for children in First Holy Communion, because we've got one listener who's got a First Holy Communion of a Godchild this weekend, wondering how much they should give rosary beads, jewellery, rosettes, prayer books for First Holy Communion. So that what was done in the old days. These communions are putting too much pressure on other people for money. I can't understand why it's all about money. I, 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 well, you, I, I do, I, I actually mentioned that I do like the idea of giving a gift, particularly I think if it's a godchild, something that they may have then forevermore. But I don't think you can say why is it all always about money? It was always about money. There was First Holy Communion money. I remember my own and it was always when you went into school the following Monday, how much did, did you make? Did, did you make? And you, te- you speak to any generation. I'm not saying that uh, children of previous generations make as much money as some of today's children make, but it was all about money. Even on Derry Girls last night, there was a First Holy Communion party going on in the communion hall and there was children counting out their money and that was meant to have been set back in the 90s. So I don't think the phenomena of giving communion Giving money to First Holy Communions is new. It's always been there. But it's just how much do people give and is that gone a bit over at the top? Sheila says, Patricia, wouldn't it be more important to instil in the children how important the sacraments are rather than who's having a bouncy castle? Often the hiring of the bouncy castle lasts longer than the awareness of First Holy Communion or confirmation. How often do you see the church packed the week before and fairly full, perhaps the week after the First Holy Communion? And from then on, there's no sign of 
if those children are their parents. If it's the First Holy Communion, they'll next see the church for their confirmation. And after that, you'll see them all in the church for their weddings. Not because they found religion, but because the church looks nice for the photographs for the weddings, says uh, Sheila. And someone else says, my heart bleeds for those poor, deprived children who can't get a bouncy castle. Mother of God, all that's going on at the moment and a bouncy castle for your deprived little Johnny or Mary. Is that your biggest worry? And these will be the same whining, moaning parents who complain about the cost of living. I think that's, yeah. Are you being a bit unfair there? Are you being a bit unfair? Like for a lot of families, they haven't had a kind of a social gathering and a gathering where the grandparents come and the relations come. And first holy communions can be lovely, lovely events for everybody to get together. And it's an excuse and a reason for everybody to get together. And God knows after a couple of years we've all been through we can all do with spending some time with our families but you're right it doesn't have to be about a bouncy castle for sure and someone else says just as a word of warning to the person who went out and bought a bouncy castle be very careful about buying your own bouncy castle or giving it a loan to somebody else what about insurance will it be covered if there's a claim well that's what I was saying if you are buying your own bouncy castle and as I say we touched on it on Monday in our insurance slot you need to check with your house insurance to see if a bouncy castle is covered or not. And thank you to Helen, who has a, a kind of a list of, this is in answer to Eileen, who's Eileen or Ellen, I can't remember, who's going to the communion on Saturday, wondering how much to give. Helen says, she has a kind of like a little list. Communion money. You give 50 euro if it's a got child. You give 20 euro if it's your niece or nephew. You would give 20 euro if it was a close neighbour or a close friend. And then if you happen to come across a, a, a child on the street or a child that you only might meet occasionally, then you give a tenner. And that's from Helen, who looking at the little list she's put together, looks like she's a woman in the know. Thank you for that, uh, Helen. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University Enhance your career prospects With MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses Succeeding together with MTU.ie HGV Driver is wanted for Kelcro Transport They're based in Mill Street Chain As you contact 029 70296 Shuttering Carpenter is wanted for Cork City. Email a CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Osborne Recruitment have a vacancy for an experienced store person. That's in the Clonakilty area. CVs to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. And experienced ground worker and, and are a 360 machine driver wanted for the Bandon and Cork areas. Email info at crow.crow-bar. Com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Anyone who suffers from psoriasis or has a family member with the skin condition will know how hard it can be to either find a cure or a solution to keep it under control. Well, help may be available with the launch of a new video and podcast series called Let's Talk Psoriasis. To chat further, I'm joined by Dr Maeve McAleer, who is a consultant dermatologist at St James's Hospital. Good morning to you, Maeve. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Sorry. Good morning, Maeve. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose let's start at the beginning. Can you just outline what is psoriasis? 
Well, psoriasis is a very common inflammatory skin disease. Um, it affects approximately about 1% of our children and between 2 and 4% of our adult population. And uh, psoriasis um, is caused, it's a complex disease, so there's no single cause, but most people will have some genetic or inherited factors and then some environmental factors that triggers or flares their disease. Um, and psoriasis plaques are very typically a well-defined plaque. So there's a sharp line of demarcation between affected and unaffected skin. And they're raised, they're pink or red with silvery white scales. Um, it can pick out certain parts of the body, such as the knees, the elbows, the trunk, the scalp, although other areas can be affected. Um, and it can also affect the nails and the joints. Can it be itchy? Psoriasis can be itchy. Many patients complain of itch and sometimes even if the skin cracks can complain of pain. Um, it's not as incessantly itchy as, for example, atopic dermatitis, but a lot of patients will complain of mild itch at times. Um, and I'm interested to hear you say children. I always, for some strange reason, thought it was only a condition that adults got. No, so it's not as common in children, but psoriasis often first presents in the sort of teens and 20s um, and can present in children as young as in infancy. So it does occur in children, but is more common in adults. And currently, are there many treatment options available for somebody with a diagnosis of psoriasis? There's an absolutely huge range of options now. We're living in a wonderful era. Um, and um, when we see a patient, we assess the extent of their disease, um, how much of their body or where in their body is affected. And we also assess the impact of the disease on the patient. Um, and we take those things into consideration and we make a treatment plan um, for the patient. And depending on those factors, how much disease they have and how much it affects them, we can start, you know, at the simplest level, which is topical treatments. So treatments that you apply on the surface and um, we can move on to phototherapy or light treatments. And then we can move on to systemic treatments, things that are either given um, in a tablet or an injection form. And there are a range of these. We have traditional treatments like methotrexate, and then we have a whole range of more targeted biological therapies. So, you know, it's a wonderful era. We now can control patient psoriasis um, so that they have no or minimal disease. And that is the aim of treatment in, in the current hmm. uh, times. And I, I think that's good for people to hear because some people with a skin condition will sort of say, oh, I have psoriasis. I just have to live with it. Exactly. I think it's really important for patients to know that there are many things out there that can be done. Um, and it's not like, you know, in your granny's time when patients had to sort of live with it. Um, and I think that really empowers patients. And I think this, you know, video and podcast series that Janssen Sciences has created. So let's talk psoriasis. You know, will patients when they listen to this will will hear this message over and over again that um, we have lots of treatments and and we will control your disease. We often on this program, Maeve, will talk about you know waiting lists uh, to get to see uh, different specialists. Are there delays for people accessing experts like yourself, a dermatologist? Oh yes, the delays are really disheartening. I mean, there's currently about forty thousand people oh. in this country waiting to assess to access dermatology services, and many of those, about a third of those, waiting over a year. So, 
that was really the concept I think behind this um, series. So let's talk psoriasis. It, you know, it was an opportunity to get experts together to give patients and people waiting on on waiting lists to access care, to give them access to the experts, to evidence based, um, sound advice um, and guidance. Does diet and nutrition play a part? Um, not directly, we don't believe, um, in terms of um, causation or, or cure, but, you know, absolutely, um, alcohol, for example, will trigger psoriasis and patients often tell us that and generally speaking we do recommend a healthy lifestyle good diet and exercise for patients because there is some evidence that psoriasis patients will have more difficulty managing their weight and are probably more likely to have difficulties perhaps with cardiovascular health in later years so we do encourage a healthy diet and lifestyle but in terms of actually um, treating your disease it doesn't play a role. Okay, some questions in from listeners. Lorraine notices that her psoriasis always gets better following a holiday in the sun. Why is that? Yes. Well, you know, ultraviolet um, radiation, the sun's rays, can be beneficial with psoriasis. And that is the why we treat patients with phototherapy. But it's extremely important that patients don't damage their skin. So if you damage your skin, your psoriasis will flare or come out. And a sunburn is a perfect way to damage the skin. So uh, patients need to be very careful in the sun with psoriasis. When we treat people with light therapy in hospital, it's very controlled. It's a very narrow band of ultraviolet radiation that we use. Um, But yes, you know, gentle sunlight patients will often report improvement. But it is very important that you're sensible around the sun and, and absolutely don't burn the skin. Paul says, I suffer from psoriasis and and a type of dermatitis. Basically, any sweating drives my skin nuts, mainly on my head, face and back. Wheat seems to be an irritant, but I'm not 100% sure. Is diet a big thing? No, I'd say again, there's no association with eating wheat and um, and uh, psoriasis that no, we no. are aware of. Okay. Yeah. And, and it has been studied. <laughs> now, here's here's a common question. Jonathan says he gets when he gets stressed at work, his psoriasis will flare up. Is that common? Yes. I mean, stress um, is a known trigger for all inflammatory skin diseases, including psoriasis. Uh, and obviously having psoriasis in itself and, and having a very visible skin disease is stressful in itself. So patients often get into this cycle where they're, they are stressed about something, their psoriasis flares, having their psoriasis flaring is stressful and it really is a very difficult cycle um, that they can get into. So the important thing, I think, is to reassure those people um, that we have treatments, that we can escalate treatment at, at these times and also that they take whatever measures they can in their lifestyle to reduce their stress if that's possible. And Melissa only has psoriasis on her scalp. Any, yes. any advice? Yeah, so scalp psoriasis is really common. Um, It's one of the most common sites that psoriasis picks out and can be very annoying for people, you know, um, can affect their clothing choices, can be hugely itchy, makes them very self-conscious. So I think the important thing is, is again, as I said earlier, damaging the skin um, and, you know, makes your psoriasis flare. So treating the scalp really gently, not scratching, not using, um, you know, abrasive brushes or other methods to remove the scale and instead letting the topical treatments that we use um, 
treat treat the skin gently. So there are many topical treatments that we use. And if necessary, we, we can escalate to systemic treatments if it's particularly difficult and bothersome. OK, and as you said, you know, you've, this podcast has been put together because there's so many people on waiting lists. While people are waiting to get to see experts like yourself, Maeve, I take it your GP is your is your absolutely yeah, yeah the gp is everyone's first port of call and um the you know pa- patients and, and people out there should be aware that that um the majority of psoriasis is mild so even though two to four percent of people have it m- the majority of those people have mild disease that can be managed by their gp and the gp has access to all the same topical treatments that we have in the hospital so your GP is your first port of call absolutely okay and you you're one of the guests there's an array of experts who who taking part in this podcast that's right yeah we have um professor Brian Kirby from St Vincent's uh P- professor Katrina Ryan and um, from the institute of dermatologists and we also have a rheumatologist uh, and myself um so there's loads of um different expert opinion out there and uh, I hope people find it helpful and useful and interesting. Okay, and you can pick it up wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk yeah, psoriasis. Yeah, and you can also access it um, online at um, www.janssenwithme.ie um, looking at their resources section. And I think it's important for people to know that it's so let's talk psoriasis, but the so is spelled P-S-O, P-S-O as yeah. in yeah. psoriasis. Okay. So it's not S-O, it's P-S-O if they're searching for it on their podcasts or searching for it on, on uh, online. Okay, I found it yesterday. It really is very, very informative. Listen, thank you for that, uh, Maeve. I appreciate you taking you, time, time out from your schedule. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good Many morning thanks. to you. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Bye. Maeve McAleer, consultant dermatologist at St. James's Hospital, talking about that podcast. So let's talk psoriasis. P-S-O. Let's talk psoriasis. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Jean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We're off to Fomoy Guard, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly for this week's Guard the File. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, Thanks for having me. You're very welcome as always. Okay, we're going to start with some crimes. Looking for listeners' help, starting with tools that were taken in Shambelly Moor and Quarterstown area of Mallow? Tools are very much the order of the day. Um, in this particular case, I suppose just to start with the incident at Chan Ballymore that occurred last weekend, uh, sometime between 3pm on Saturday, a uh, premises was broken into in the Chan Ballymore area and uh, Monday 8am 8, 8 in the morning, so between the 14th uh, last and the 16th. Now, there's no doubt it was specifically targeted for the tools that were within that premises. Um, so if you were in the Chandelier Moor area and noticed unusual activity, that's between 3 p.m. on the 14th and uh, 8 a.m. on the 16th. Um, so again, we moved there then to Quartertown Industrial Estate, and that was 1.30 yesterday morning, on the morning of the 18th, 1.30 a.m. Uh, the alarm activated. Um, they went into a, a premises there, and there were some, some tools taken and a small small amount of pay, petty cash. But um, we believe and uh, we've had reports of uh, people attempting to sell, to selling tools door to door, Rat Cormac area yesterday. There may be no connection, but at the same time we are investigating the fact that 
uh, you know, obviously tools being sold a few days after tools being stolen in that general area. So we would say to people, if they have any uh, knowledge or, or if they have any suspicions, uh, the Gardaí at Kamai 025-82100 would appreciate any phone call um, if, if people have any information. To and I take that. it you would say, John, never, ever buy tools at somebody knocking on your door offering Absolutely. to buy something that very obviously looks second hand as well. Absolutely. You know, but even even new tools, be very careful because we've seen many, many incidents in, in, the, in the past of poor quality uh, kind of generic stuff being sold door to door. You know, in some cases, I remember Honda generators being sold. They weren't Honda. They just had a Honda sticker stolen on them, you know, and you were just buying trouble from day one. Uh, if, if, if you got a month out of them, that was it, you know. So, I mean, you stick to known suppliers, okay. you know, for, for stuff like that. An awful lot of, of rubbish is also sold. So, again, car boot sales and all, just be very careful and ask yourself the question, you know, if you're buying, you're buying tools, I mean, look, most people are going to keep tools until the day they die, you know. So, mm. I mean, they're, they're either... You know, you're either either buying stuff that's dodgy or else stuff that's really Surely. gone anyway. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, okay. yeah. Um, there was a in Donrail, there was a school shed broken into. That happened on the on the night of the tenth of May, um, between ten o'clock at night, eight fifteen in the morning. You know, a push lawnmower stolen. Most likely, the you, you know that the anything, any information that possibly lies in the Donrail area. And if anybody knows anything about it, again, the Gardaí uh, for my 025-82100. Just another thing there, Patricia, uh, as regards uh, buying off Dundee, uh, yeah. just to give an, an instance of something that happened during the week, a lady uh, saw an iPhone 13, uh, you know, on Dundee, uh, got in contact uh, via, via email with uh, with the purported seller. She transferred 800 to a Revolut account. Obviously, at this stage, she has no phone and can't make contact with the person who's selling oh, it. Either. You know, so substantial amount of money. Yeah, and like that's that's you know, Dundee is is a it's a great website, and it, you know, there's what? many genuine uh, people buying and selling on it. But you've just now, you've just got to be so careful when you're yeah for anything like that. You have like to that. exercise caution. Yeah. Absolutely, you have to exercise caution. You know, and uh, just be very careful of. Um, of who you're, who you're doing. And 800 doing euro, that is a lot of money. And once it's gone into a Revolut account, is that it? It's she, it's she no come back? Well, basically, you know, you're, it's, it's an internet bank, you know. I mean, the PM company is in, is in Lithuania, you know. Um, we have seen incidents of fraud there, and one of my colleagues was telling me uh, one particular incident uh, that, uh, that they were investigating. The amount concerned, a substantial amount more than that, but it had gone through five different jurisdictions within 48 hours. Yeah. You know, yeah. as, as regards electronic, you know, yeah. so I mean, yeah. just to give an idea, you know, people be very, very careful. You know, it takes you a long time to earn 800 quid, so, you know, just be cautious of it. Again, Again if, you, if, you, if you want to buy a phone, go into a local phone shop and... And, and buy and buy it that way. Now the other thing yeah, that cool. everyone is complaining about is the rising cost of uh, fuel. Uh, so this is this is a kind of a warning, I suppose, for petrol stations. It's a warning for petrol stations, and particularly isolated petrol stations. You know, and maybe they may consider. I know sometimes they're unwilling to do it, maybe, uh, but they really should consider. You know, with the cost of fuel so high, um, while it's not at big uh, stage yet. You, you, you know, as regards drive-offs, you know, we are seeing beginning of it, you know, and you, you you could introduce the pay before you feel concept, you know, that, I mean, a person knows what, you know, if they're going 
getting 60, well, they pay for their 60 in, in the shop and, uh, you know, they they fill up their 60 and, you know, they can't get any more. But I saw an isolated filling station twice in the same day, uh, going back a week ago. As I said, quite isolated petrol station, North Cork area. Uh, two cars came in within two hours of each other, uh, filled, full full to the top, 100 in one case, 95 in the other, and literally straight out the gap straight away. Um, again, you have uh, the other... Uh, you know, p- people with schools and community centres in isolated areas just keep an eye on them uh, over over the, over the summer period, as well because remember the price of home heating oil is going up as well. Mm. You know, so for um, people to just bear that in mind, it, lit- it um, literally is like liquid gold at the moment. And for the gar- for the for the garages, I mean, I know certainly the garage that I use most often to fill up my petrol, they have CCTV on it. So are they are you able are they able to track people down that way if it's a drive off? Well, that's that's if they have a, a real number plate. Oh, yeah, I didn't think okay, of that. Okay, because yeah. I mean, the guys, the guys who are thinking, you know, could uh, have have a dodgy plate on, you know, before they go for yeah. number plate before yeah. they go in, okay. you know. Again, and uh, combined with that, you know, they they could be wearing they could be wearing a mask, and they also could be wearing the pull, you know, the baseball cap, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but so for people just to keep an eye on that. Because it's something that, uh, and, and like, I mean, with the automatic filling stations that are now beginning to appear, you know, people are getting very much off fear with the concept of, uh, of pay before you feel anyway, you know. Well, I know and if anyone has been to the States, whenever I used to go to the States, you always, you had to go into the garage first, you told them how much you wanted, you go out yeah. and then they just release at that amount. I mean, it would be awful to think if we had to go down that route here in this country but if there's more of these drive-offs I think petrol stations who run now why people give out about the price of petrol the actual petrol station owner it's a very tiny margin what they make on the petrol they make they say they'll make more from you buying a cup of coffee than they will from you getting a full tank of petrol or or diesel you're you're 100% right they can't afford to take that kind of hit if if it's drive-offs are happening Absolutely, absolutely, and and like I mean, there there are some places as you said, they're they're making way more money from from their coffee machine than they are from from their petrol pumps. Mm. That's why they are, I suppose, in a way, trying to get people into into the shop. But um, I would say that look, if your offering in the in the shop is already good anyway, you know, they are going to come come back in for whatever they want. Yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, in in isolated parts of the country, you know, that filling station is also the local shop. Yeah. So, so the person will be coming down there anyway, you know. So, okay. look, it's for something, something for people to keep an eye on. That okay. this, it, you just could get a bit bigger, you know. Okay. And Brian, one of our listeners says, would you ask uh, Sergeant John Kelly? W- would he suggest that people don't get full tanks of home heating oil because of the fear of theft? If people are planning Absol- on filling up out during the summer months, absolutely, a hundred percent. And I think, I think people are already doing it. But they're doing it more out of cost than uh, That's security. True. That's true. You know, so just but get a half a tank. Just yes, get, yeah. but particularly in the case of uh, isolated community centres and lots of them are and schools, you know, that they even should consider, uh, you know, draining the tanks. Maybe uh, I would suggest over 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 the over the summer period. You because know, those schools um, those schools will be empty. Yeah, yeah. Know? Unless they have, uh, you know, specific. Uh, crime prevention measures taken as regards their tanks. Okay, but locks, you know? on, locks on our tanks try and make it as difficult as possible for the thieves. Well, 
locks on the plastic tank I really don't I count for much because I mean in most cases we've seen they'll drill the tank and they'll siphon it anyway yeah. you know but I mean I, I, I have seen uh, some purpose built bunkers being put in where, whereby the the fuel tank is inside in a bonded uh, concrete uh, bunker that cannot be accessed except when you purposely open it for, for refill purposes, mm. you know. Um, again, uh, that is a specific thing that uh, can be got from a, from a number of places, you know. Okay, and do your best if you've, you're good at the old gardening to try and hide it. You can camouflage tanks as well so that it can't uh, actually be seen. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, you, you know, you don't kind of drive through the country any, any, anymore and see isolated out in the middle of the lawn, the tank standing up and, you know, you can... Uh, you, you can future-proof it, if you like, by okay. going maybe a, a Berberus hedge or something around that. And I mean, Berberus, you won't go near that. That's true. You know? All right. Listen, uh, John, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thank and, you, uh, Thanks Thank uh, you for much. joining us. That is Sergeant John Kelly, based out of Fomoygaard. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103, we're presenting the Mallow Home and Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals in this country and we have a Parmer Ratten modular sofa set that we're going to give away on the programme tomorrow but we need to get a qualifier from today we've had three qualifiers so far qualifier today is qualifier number four one more to go tomorrow and then we'll make the draw and somebody will win the Parma Ratten modular sofa set as we've done all week I'm going to play out a clip of a well-known person who has a love of gardening who is this? Peepy out at me from behind, sprouting ferns and dying daffodils, not quite sure of their welcome, sizing me up and wondering how they will be received this year. Oh, it's all about gardening as well. I love that lady. I really do. Who is it? Well, well known figure. OK, we need you the, the name of that lady, along with your name and address. Text and WhatsApp only, please. 0862. 103 103 and uh, we'll leave it open for about 10 minutes or thereabouts and then John Paul will select today's qualifier who'll go forward for the draw tomorrow and of course the Mallow Home and Garden Festival they'll have over 200 exhibitors this uh, year there will be free seminars you can browse through uh, they say 5 million plants will be on sale over the three days there's a vintage car show, artisan uh, food expo. And if you're travelling by train, of course, there is a free shuttle bus from the train station out to the race course. And the Garden Festival runs May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. Do I do one more play? I will. Peepy out at me from behind, sprouting ferns and dying daffodils. Not quite sure of their welcome. Sizing me up and wondering how they will be received this year. Now it's by text and WhatsApp only, please. So the name of the lady along with your name and address. Now let me catch up with some of your calls and texts that have been coming into the uh, programme. We were speaking about psoriasis in the last hour with Dr Maeve McAleer and she was talking about the array of new treatments that are available. I think that's important for people who maybe had a diagnosis of psoriasis many, many years ago and you tried something and it didn't work and the amount of people who think, oh, sure, it's a skin condition, I just have to live with it. You don't. There really are. There's so many treatments now available that can keep psoriasis at bay. Not always cures, but it certainly can keep it at bay. And here's one of our listeners with her suggestion. I'm on um, tablets called Otesla. Um, I've been on them now, I'd say, about a year and a half. I got them from the specialist in the South Infirmary. And it really, really keeps it at bay. Not completely gone, but very good. 
So this year I can wear shorts and T-shirts. Thanks be to God. Brilliant to go out in shorts and T-shirts. Well done. And actually that listener also then tagged on to the end of her WhatsApp. I also gave up cigarettes, uh, she says, with uh, which helps a lot. But thank you for your WhatsApp uh, voice message. And of course, feel free to send in voice messages to our WhatsApp service 0862103103. Now to go back to some calls and WhatsApps coming in. I want to do a shout out for somebody because it came in in earlier before the Derry Girls ones Anne is looking for help oh that's Anne sorry that needs to go down Anne was on to say uh, she was shopping in Bantry yesterday morning and she lost uh, a silver heart chain slash necklace she said it's it's really important it's of huge sentimental value to her now she was shopping in Bantry she was in the town centre she was everywhere from super value to the post office and mainly around the town centre area and she definitely had the chain on her going out shopping yesterday but when she got home she realised it, it it was gone and she feels sure that she lost it somewhere around the town centre It was she was out shopping yesterday from 11am yesterday to 2pm so there's initials on the front and the back. So did anybody spot that when they were out and about? Somebody might have spotted it and picked it up and have brought it home, not knowing what to do with it. If so, can you call us, please? Because Anne would dearly love to get that silver heart chain and necklace back. It is quite possible, obviously, that the chain has broken in some way. So it, you, the, the chain mightn't even be with it but I think the most important part to get back is the silver heart which is to say as initials on the front and back if anybody can help us with that 0818 103103 John Paul taking the calls on that uh, William Mitchellstown contacted us about the cost of living and Willie says just this is where people are starting to realise and point out a particular item. You know that we don't all, we don't know the price of everything. We know roughly how much our you know a big trolley load of shopping is going to cost. But some people are will know individual items. They'll know the exact price of them. Maybe something that you only buy once a week and you might buy it on its own. So you'll definitely know the price of it. And that seems to be the case with Willie. He says every Thursday morning they do their weekly shop. And they kind of finish up the weekly sh- by buying two cream buns, which I'm assuming they bring home, pop up, pop on the kettle and then have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. And they enjoy their cream buns after their trip out shopping. Now, he said the two cream buns went from €1.70 to €2.35 each. And he thinks that's a really, really big increase. It's an increase of 65 Cent. Now, Willie reckons if you shop around, you can go can get good value for money. And he's fearful that some shops are ripping people off. And I'll jump in in defence. I really don't think the shops are ripping people off. I don't know where you're buying your cream buns, uh, Willie. But everything that goes into making that cream bun has gone up. We know the cost of flour has gone up. We were only this week talking about the cost of butter, how even the own brand butter has gone up. Milk, cream, everything like that. Everything that went into your cream bun has gone up in price. So I don't in any way think it's shops price gorging. That's not to say that price gorging isn't going on. Uh, it is. But everything has just gone up in price. And actually, while the news was on at 12, I was just taking a quick look through my Twitter feed. And this kind of tied in when I mentioned earlier about earlier in the week about the cost of car, car hire. 
and uh, the reason I was so into the cost of car hire is my sister-in-law is travelling home from Australia uh, has, we haven't seen her now since pre-pandemic and there's much excitement about herself and her lovely husband and her beautiful two kids uh, coming home and they're flying into Dublin airport they're going to need to get a car and they'll need a car for the duration I think it's 20 days I worked out they'll need a car hire for, for so I'm trying to help her out with you know getting details for her of what's available what's not available so I just went online to see how much would car hire bearing in mind two adults two kids and all of the luggage travelling with them from Australia so that a small car won't suit they need a kind of a kind of a people carrier decent sized car and the cheapest quote I could get was eight and a half thousand I nearly fell off the chair when I saw the quote and I felt like saying we don't want to buy the car she just wants to rent it for three weeks and I've just seen somebody put up on Twitter that his brother is living in America and is coming home for three weeks in July again out of Dublin airport and they've just been quoted 10,000 euro for three week car hire and that's led to a thread of people talking about you know how much they've been quoted somebody else was on to say a week in July somebody trying to get an SUV has been quoted for seven days 4,148 uh, euro I mean it really is crazy and somebody has suggested that this is what happens in the States but I don't think there's anything similar here somebody went to America and you were, you were able to rent a car belonging to somebody else you know almost like a house swap but you do a car swap you rent a car from somebody and obviously it works out much cheaper but there's nothing there's absolutely nothing like that uh, here Uh, and just I'm really starting to worry as to the effect this is going to have on uh, tourism somebody said tried to book a two week uh, a golf a Volkswagen Golf which isn't a a huge isn't the isn't a very big car, isn't a small car either, I suppose. Two weeks in July from Dublin uh, Airport and uh, we've just been quoted just over €3,000 for the rent of that car. So as I say, that is going to be a problem for tourists arriving in this country, for sure. 0818-103-103 on Derry Girls that I mentioned, if people watched uh, Derry Girls, some... I wasn't the only one who enjoyed it. Jim and Charlie said, said, I felt it was so poignant watching the last episode of Derry Girls uh, last night. The fact the girls that get on but can still have disagreements also showing there's no right or wrong is that when it comes to the world of politics, maybe a lot of today's politicians could learn and take note from it. Marion in Skibbereen says, how appropriate with everything that is going on the show and the storyline was. Many young people have learnt about history but also many of our young people have learnt about history but as a younger generation wouldn't be too au fait with the troubles, uh, Marion. But Marion says she's got many relatives in the UK who really know little or nothing about the Good Friday Agreement. It's something that they're hearing a lot about now because obviously there's a big discussion about it at the moment with the Brexit and the protocol and all of uh, that. And uh, she says for some of her English cousins they think it's just the Irish being awkward when it comes to Brexit. They're all fans of Derry Girls so she said she was really delighted that it was on last night. She's hoping that some of her English cousins may get a better understanding of what is going on with the Good Friday Agreement and uh, Brexit. But wasn't it interesting? She said that it took a comedy show that perhaps a comedy show will answer many of their questions. That is uh, very true. Thank you for that, Marion. On First Holy Communions, Cathy said, I get the dates from the families well before as in the minute they get the dates from the school, I'll find out when the communions and the confirmations are on. This 
this year, Cathy said, in my family, three First Holy Communions and two confirmations. So I got their cards in plenty of time and I put a tenor into one card one week. The next week I put a tenor into the other one until all the cards were filled. Once the five weeks passed, I have the five cards all ready to go and I don't have to pay all the same amount on at the right time. But that's a tenor in each card. And you know, a tenor is enough. A tenor really, I think, is enough. People actually are taken aback. I saw an array of texts coming in. If I can go back to the text messages for for a second. When we started mentioning about people giving 50 euro for communion money, that has left some people with their jaw uh, dropping. One person said, Ross says, OMG, 50 euro for a first Holy Communion child. That's teaching children to expect money and that money comes too easy. Hi Patricia, I'm an old age pensioner. I give the grandchildren 50 euro when they make their first Holy Communion. If it's anybody else, I give them a tenner. I think that's plenty. As an 80 year old, by the way, I didn't get anything for my first Holy Communion. We only learned to pray. And someone else says the First Holy Communion hasn't always been about money picking me up. Um, I got mine in the 50s of this listener and we got no money. So it was different times. Yeah, I thought it was always there. So my my apologies. I would have made mine early 1970s. I thought everybody got money for their communion. Hi, Patricia. It makes me sick all the fuss that parents make about First Holy Communion. So I actually feel sorry for the children who the most of them are only taken to the church for show. They won't be back in a church again until the day they make their confirmation. And then it'll just be more show for the mammies and the uh, daddies. 0818103103. Back to uh, Derry Girls. Mary in the City says, Patricia, I seriously enjoyed the hour-long episode of the Derry Girls last night. It had everything, including lots of good laughs. Yeah, and certainly Lisa McGee is so well able to write the one-liners. Picking up on what Sergeant John Kelly spoke about with the drive-offs in the garages and just as a kind of a word of warning to garage owners just to be careful that they're starting Starting to see some people coming in, filling up, filling up the false number plates. So even if they have CCTV, they can't be caught. Somebody says maybe the petrol stations need to put back staff back on the forecourt like they used to do. And they could handle payments before the user ever gets the petrol or the diesel. The old fashioned day where you drove into the petrol station and there was usually young boys in the main it was probably students wasn't it It was kind of a part time job and they'd fill up your uh, petrol and we've stopped that I don't know when it stopped here in in Ireland but it's many many years since we had somebody on the forecourt filling up uh, your petrol I do remember um, about three years ago we went on a family it was pre maybe it's four years ago we went on a family holiday to Muff in County Donegal and we had people who travelled over from the UK we have relatives who live in Derry and then we all travelled up from the south and we rented a couple of houses and we had a fantastic week I have to say in Muff but in the village of Muff I went to fill up my diesel in my car and uh, a young lad filled it up for me and I actually got chatting to him and he said yeah it's one of the things they reckon that they were the only village in the area that does it they still hire people to fill your petrol <laughs> so there won't have any drive off uh, drive offs in Muff but I remember I commented I actually spoke to him said I haven't seen it done in uh, years oh 
texts and WhatsApps. Keep them coming, please. 0862103103. I'm petrol. Hi, Patricia. I just filled up my car. It's 191 now for diesel. And I'm thinking back to when the government and others encouraged all of us to buy diesel cars, telling us we would get our fuel cheaper. And we have been getting our fuel cheaper than petrol for many years, but it's swung the other way now. Look what has happened now, says Heidi. They will need to reduce the price of fuels and then hauliers will not need to increase prices because everything is going up. So says Heidi. Thank you for that. Amara says, will you please say a big thank you to Councillor Michael Hegarty for his work getting the signposts replaced and new ones erected around Ballycronine Cool Bay and Inch here in East Cork. They were badly needed. So well done to Councillor Michael Hegarty for getting those signs replaced. Morris is very, very appreciative. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Keep your texts and WhatsApps coming in, particularly pet questions to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Nazareth House in Mallow, they're looking for volunteers. Now they're looking to help uh, people who could help them update their gardens. They're looking for people to run an internal shop for a couple of hours each day so that the residents can purchase their own goodies. Now all the items will be supplied. You'll just be running the, the shop. You'll be acting as a shopkeeper. And they're also looking for volunteers to help the activities coordinator with outings and sing-songs. All volunteers will obviously need to be guarded vetted. You need to have two written references. But if you think you can help in any way, can you contact the Director of Nursing at 022-215-61 or email don.mallow at nazarethcare.com. Mallow Rugby Club are inviting girls aged 7 to 14 to take part in their Give It A Try rugby programme. It currently runs on Saturday mornings from 11am to 12 in the rugby pitch across from Tesco in Mallow. If you'd like more details, Ian can fill you in 086 251 And Cardallary Community Development, they're holding their weekly lotto draw this afternoon at 4 and it's in the local community hall office with a jackpot of €3,500. And Deputy Andreas Moynihan is fundraising for the Alzheimer's Society. It's part of their tea day, but he's doing it tomorrow, Friday. You can call into his office uh, in McCroom for a takeaway cuppa and some cake. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. He outed me from behind, sprouting ferns and dying daffodils, not quite sure of their welcome, sizing me up and wondering how they will be received this year. And yes, you all got it right. It was the lovely, lovely Alice uh, Taylor was our well-known person. And of course, Alice has such a love of uh, gardening. And if anybody's been lucky enough to visit her beautiful garden in Inishannon, you can see why she has a love of gardening. She's got such a stunning uh, garden. So our winner today, or our qualifier today, should I say, is Deirdre McCarthy in Rosamore. Congratulations to you, Deirdre. You're not, you don't live very far away from Alice in Inishannon. Congratulations to you. You're today's qualifier one step closer to winning a Parma Rotten Modular Sofa Set which we will give away tomorrow on, a pro- on the programme in association with the Mallow Homes and Gardens Festival on at the race course in Mallow May 27th, 28th and 29th with C103. Keep your pet questions coming now please. You can text or WhatsApp them to 086 
to 103 103 or John Paul is also taking pet questions at 0818103103. We're just getting reports in of a multi-vehicle collision on the N20. It's near the Waterloo exit. Please God, everybody is okay. But be careful if you're on the N20, particularly approaching the Waterloo exit, a multi-vehicle collision. Okay, some of your other WhatsApps coming in. Hi, Patricia. You're always great at finding out information. Well, we do try. You might check something for us. Is there any update on changes being carried out by the HSC for improving addiction services for people living in West Cork? This listener says, I've heard it's in the process of doing so. They run programmes in Arbor House Treatment Centre in Cork. They run things like family recovery programmes and programmes for the addicts themselves. It would be fantastic if we had similar services based in the West Cork region uh, to be able to facilitate people to go on the courses without having to travel. And uh, OK, so we'll get on to the HSC and we will revert back to you as soon as we hear anything back. But it would be great. They're exactly the kind of services that you need to have in the community. Don't you? You don't need people having to go always travelling to the city. You need to have them in the community. So we will let you know if uh, we hear it when we hear something back. The HSC are always good to, to respond. And here's one. Does this ring a bell with anybody else? This is to do with anybody who is still with Ulster Bank that we know are closing. Hi Patricia, I received a call yesterday, allegedly from Ulster Bank asking me had I taken steps to move because of the imminent closure of the bank. They are of course closing on the 29th of the 10th this year. The call was from a Dublin number. Tried ringing it back and I couldn't, couldn't get through. So I ended up phoning Ulster Bank this morning on a different number and eventually did get through to somebody in Ulster Bank. They couldn't confirm or deny whether the call from the Dublin number was from the bank or not, but presumed it was. That's not good enough. So I've given a shout out. Any other listeners received such a call? I'd love to know. So if you're a customer of Ulster Bank, and you haven't switched yet. They are obviously contacting people. But did you get a random call from a Dublin number? But then I'm trying to call the number back. Couldn't get through. That does seem very strange. But how bizarre of the bank to say that they couldn't confirm or deny if the call came from them or not. You would have assumed that they would know exactly what numbers, what the telephone numbers that they have linked to the bank that they know that are genuine because there's so many scams doing the rounds you're right to err on the side of caution as well for sure and the lady who lost the silver chain you know the heart chain that we're looking for in Bantry somebody's come on says tell that woman to check her car underneath the seats yeah I see I don't know if she drove to town or not yesterday but but it, you're you're right check everywhere around the car it is possible that while she was driving to are from Bantry that maybe the chain fell off and it could be under the seat so it's it's worth checking out thank you for that morning Patricia you mentioned the guys at the you know filling up your petrol at the station at when you go into the petrol station to get your petrol Roy reckons the last time there was pump guys pumping petrol for the general public you'd have to go back to 2001 and the reason Roy remembers I was working at a petrol station myself it was a small garage in Cork Sean Hanley's in Toker it was happy days so 2001 it is that far back thank you for that uh, Roy and you're right it is indeed happy memories and just a quick look at the other texts just to see there's some in here let me just 
hold that page so that it doesn't keep sliding on me as I'm trying to uh, read it out. Hi Patricia, I live in the Johallow area and I had my car for NCT in a Kerry town a few days ago. Now I had a few minor faults but when I saw the sheet marked, you know, when they marked the faults and one, one of the faults was I was missing a dust cap or you call it a valve cap, I was gobsmacked. I wonder what the NCT is coming from you, but you can't. Can you fail on? Could you fail on something as small as that, or is that just something they tell you to replace and then you could come back in? I wonder. At, uh, yeah, it seems crazy indeed. Hi, Patricia. Regarding respite services that you spoke about earlier for people with disabilities, I care for my brother. He is living with. Uh, I care for my brother. He is in his own home. Now, I don't know if you you living in the house with him or you care for him in his own home. I'm wondering, could he get respite? He doesn't attend any place outside of the home. He would be in his late fifties. Um, yeah, you'd like to think that he would be in the ideal world. He would be getting respite services, and there would be a time where he would have been getting it. Respite services are just so difficult now to come across. I would suggest that you have a chat with your public health nurse because I don't know. It's a text that has come in, so I don't know. Are you contacting me from North Cork, West Cork, East Cork, or from the city? So I would suggest you contact your local public health nurse. Say it to your public health nurse that you think your brother would benefit from respite, and they'll let you know what respite, if any respite services are available. And even if they're not available at the moment, you might be able to get your brother's name down for some place that when respite opens up and they are start, they, and they will get staff to work in the respite centres you know he might be then first on the list to get called failing that as a carer I would always say to people to contact Family Carers Ireland who are a brilliant organisation who we often speak with on the programme there's somebody else that will be able to tell you what's available and what's not available and also be able to tell you what you're entitled to so uh, if you Google Family Carers Ireland and you'll get a telephone number and address there or an email address and they certainly will be able to help you and on first Holy Communion money. Hi Patricia, this is from John in Blackpool. Just on First Holy Communion, I'm 68 now. I was born in the Coal K in 1954 on my First Holy Communion day. I went down, down to my dad's local. My dad gave me a half a crown and his friend gave me a shilling. Happy out I was, off to the Savoy Cinema on Patrick Street, Cowboys and Indians. Happy memories. Yes. <laughs> so there's somebody at 68 who, do, who remembers receiving First Holy Communion money. But we had people saying that back in the 50s they didn't give Holy Communion uh, money. But there's somebody who said that they did. Thank you for that, uh, John. And you, yeah, my, what a lovely memory to have. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. We're going to take a break and we're back with your pet questions being answered by Jane Pickett. That's after these. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary uh, Group, where I'm joined by Jane Pickett. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Uh, anyone's got a question, get them in. John Paul's taking the calls. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. Some of the questions already in. Eileen's on. Any suggestions, please, for my uh, dog, a Labrador retriever, eight years old, has a type of infection in his ears. The ears flare up. Also has vertigo as a result. It's been to the vet a lot and is on tablets. Penicort and Renicort. It's been going on since February. Okay, so ear disease can be very complex and particularly when it gets to the stage of having vertigo. So kind of 
symptoms where the pet may be feeling unbalanced, then that generally signals that there may be an inner ear infection. So we have kind of have two, two main outer parts to our ear. So we have the outer ear canal, which is the bit that goes from kind of the top of the ear where you can see down to where the eardrum is. And then we have the middle and inner ear. And generally when we have vertigo symptoms, it means that the kind of middle and inner ear are affected with the infection as well. So it's a lot more troublesome to sort. Um, it's been going on since February, which is a little while. In many cases in complex ear infections, that would not be that unusual. It can take a while to get these things under control. Certainly some of them can be very stubborn. So there's a kind of a, a growing kind of increase in, let's say, resistant bacteria that tend to live in all parts of the body, but ears, infections, we can get resistant strains of bacteria there. So it may just be that this bacteria is particularly smart, keeps evading the antibiotics that are being used, and it can be quite a challenge. Or it may be that in your pet's particular situation, there may be other factors at play, like there may be underlying allergic skin disease, for example, or a problem with the conformation or shape of the ear, which is making it a bit more challenging to assess. Now, without seeing your pet, obviously, it's very difficult to know exactly what the situation is. Um, so I would say trust your vet on this one. They can be very complex, and I understand that ear disease can be intensely frustrating, both for the old and for the vet and for obviously the pet who is suffering with the the discomfort and irritation of it so it is important to get it sorted it sounds like he's on a number of tablets now i'm not familiar with those particular trade names but i suspect they might be kind of steroid preparations from the sound of the names but again can't comment on that without seeing yeah. the pet what i would say is if you are frustrated and it's not settling, go back to your vet and let them know let them know that the vertigo symptoms are still there let them know that things are not working like vets we're very good at her jobs but we're not mind readers we can't yeah, they, know the things they, are not they might be able to change yeah they might be able to change to a different yeah. pro product okay exactly yeah, exactly right. but it certainly sounds it's a bit like skin irritations can be very hard to get to the bottom of it they can exactly be and some is. and sometimes in many cases i suppose sometimes very much like let's say human gps there are specialists and, and kind of specialists in particular areas so the specialist that would treat, let's say, ear and skin problems, we call a dermatologist. So in, in some cases, particularly when there's inner ear disease, referral might be an option for you to a specialist. So have a, discuss with your, a discussion with your vet as to whether they think that's something that's suitable for your pet or if it's a road you want to go down. OK, hi there. We recently got a fantastic energetic puppy who has put life back into our house since our older dog went to dog heaven. Uh, she will never be mixing with other dogs as we live well out in the countryside. She's well fenced in. My question is, in Jane's opinion, should we get her neutered? And if so, at what age should? it be done she's six months old oh, oh, six months of age at the moment it would only be for health uh, reasons that we will be planning on getting this done thanks as uh, usual I love the Jane's slot on the programme I've got brilliant advice in the past thank you for that okay I'm assuming you would say I mean she's right to think of it from a health point of view Exactly. Absolutely. So I suppose being out in the out in a rural area of the sticks, if there's no dogs around, I suppose her risk of, let's say, you know, getting pregnant and that being the outcome is probably pretty low. However, what I would say is you will be surprised how far dogs will travel in search of a lady. So it's never a totally null and void risk. But looking at it from a health perspective is a really great way to look at it. There are so many benefits um, from neutering. So what I would suggest is the main benefit that we would normally talk about for early neutering. So kind of before the first season takes place 
is it dramatically reduces the risk of breast cancer, so mammary cancer later in life. It reduces it by a figure of 93% versus an unspayed dog or a dog that's spayed later on. So even from that one perspective alone, it's definitely worth getting done. The next thing I would normally talk about is it eliminates the risk of what's called a pyometra. So that is a really, really, really serious womb infection that can happen, usually in mid to later life in unspayed females. And it's just to do with the roller coaster of hormones that happen around the time of the cycle. And sometimes bacteria can get trapped inside in the womb and multiply and cause a very serious and in many cases life threatening and or fatal infection. So when you spay the, spay the pet, generally their ovaries and their womb will be removed. So they won't be cycling anymore. And that prevents the pyometra occurring. So that's a really, really helpful thing as well, because it avoids that heartache for you later on in life. So I think on those two health perspectives, they would be the biggies that I would say definitely worth getting your dog spayed. Mm. If it's a kind of a small to medium type breed, we generally say around six to eight months as a general guideline. If they're a little bit, let's say, of a larger breed, a large to giant breed, then it's worth having a discussion with your vet, given your pet's size and their other health factors and their particular breed. Because there is some growing evidence to say that, let's say, delaying neutering until they're slightly more mature, let's say 10, 12, 14 months, can be beneficial in some cases. But it's very dependent on your pet's particular breed, situation and what size they're estimated to be. So generally, they can be can be spayed from six to eight months onwards. But if they're a larger or giant breed, have a chat with your vet. OK, but you're, you're certainly on the right on the right path. Uh, Maraid has a bird nesting in her roof. The babies have been born and the mammy bird is flying in and out all the time. Do I leave them for a while and, or just wait for them to vacate the bird's nest naturally? Um, uh, I would say best to leave nature to take its course. If the mammy is flying in and out feeding the baby birds, leave her at it. I'd say until if they're nesting in the roof, I, I would say it may not be ideal from a DIY perspective or a roofing perspective, but certainly in not kind of um, throwing the wildlife off their normal course of events, it's best to leave them to it until they move on and there's no more activity in the nest. And they will. The birds will fledge and yeah. then that's it. They, 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 you can take exactly. the, nest, the nest down. And then is it, what, what's the one that keeps coming back to the same place every year? Oh, do you know? So my swallows, bird knowledge as regards migratory birds is pretty poor. I think I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's swallows that, that come back every year because I know we have them here at the radio station. It's uh, right outside the radio station, the front door. We get the birds coming back, uh, and uh, starlings. Uh, John Paul is a man in the know. They're starlings, and they just, they return <laughs> every single year, and well, it's same family, and they and they destroy your car but we put up with that and it's just gorgeous to hear the little bird the little babies tweeting every morning as I'm mm-hmm. coming in and the mammy's in and out okay um, hi question for Jane please why does my cat's stomach swell even if she's only after eating very little says Noreen goes back down again then but in, initially after eating it's like her her stomach is swollen why would that okay, be okay so it can be a little bit more obvious if their tummy swells if they're quite a lean cat um, so kind of not carrying a huge amount of body fat. Sometimes if they're a tubby or cat, you know, let's say the normal natural kind of swelling of the belly after eating is a bit more disguised and less obvious. It may be that your pet might be eating a lot of food very quickly. Hence, it's kind of filling into the stomach. They're not kind of letting some of it go through and you know pass into the intestines before eating a little bit more. So it might be that they're kind of bulging their food, very eating very, very quickly. 
So in which case you could consider, let's say, giving them a puzzle feeder so that they have to work a little bit harder to get to the food and it slows them down a tiny bit. But what I would say is if your cat otherwise seems really, really well and the swelling kind of goes up and down and is very cyclical and is, you know, in in line with when they're they're fed and then the next morning everything's back to normal. If your pet is otherwise well, it's probably fine. I think if you have any concerns, of course, visit your vet, but it might just be the case of very much like ourselves. The tummy gets a bit bloated if we've eaten a big dinner and then overnight it all goes down and settles off. So it may be totally normal for your pet. Just in time to get into the little black number. (laughs) All right, Jane, listen, we leave it there. Have a great week and we'll chat to you next Thursday. Thanks for that. Great. Uh, Bye bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's what I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul, Nick Witcher for the afternoon. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to Talk to cmig.ie. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.